Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we have a world leader in women's medicine, Dr. Jolene Brighton. as the doctor who believed women's birth control stories, where women would schedule with me just by way of the fact that they had heard from a friend that I would believe their side effects, that they started birth control and now they're having side effects and I wouldn't get mad at them for questioning it and I would actually believe it. And that is something that still to this day, I just find so astounding. And to me, that was a huge alarm and wake up of like, when women come to ask birth control and question if it's right for them and question side effects and have their concerns, sometimes in medicine, we're meeting them with a muzzle and we're telling them, be quiet, just be grateful and thankful that you have access to this and don't question it because women before you had to fight so hard to have it. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hello, hello, Keto Campers. Look, on this episode, we're gonna get into women's health, hormones. And if you're a guy listening to, to this right now, this doesn't mean you should just stop this episode and go to the next one, no, because chances are you know somebody who's a woman. Maybe it's your wife, your girlfriend, your business partner, your coworker, your colleague, a good friend. And this information, once you understand it, will help you actually communicate it better to that person. You could also share this with them after you listen to it and find it to be valuable because it is such a great episode and resource out there for the ladies. We're going to get into why the conventional way of treating hormones, especially with women, do it wrong and how they're looking at the symptom and they're neglecting the cause. And Dr. Jolene Brighton has an amazing story on how she transitioned from the conventional way to the way she's doing it now. We'll get into the dangers of taking folic acid, right? Prenatals, a lot of prenatal vitamins out there have folic acid and what's the best alternative. We're gonna speak about deep sleep, how to track your sleep and why it's so important to restoring your hormones, your health and reclaiming your energy. We'll get into PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, why it's so common and how to deal with that. The dangers of the birth control pill. Dr. Jolene Bryden is probably the person to seek out when it comes to the side effects and negative consequences of being on the birth control pill. So she will share her story and what to do if you are thinking about using the birth control pill or you just got off the birth control pill or you're on it and you're experiencing symptoms, what do you do? She'll break it all down for you. Then we'll get into how hormones flex all the time. They are prostatile, they are cyclical on, and how to go with the flow in a sense to get the best results, meaning you feel good and you burn fat. And then we'll get into how to eat for your cycle. I teach keto, I'm the founder of Keto Camp but I teach keto and fasting very differently for the women versus the men. And I share my approach 
and she just absolutely loved it. So we'll get into keto and fasting and how women should do it differently, especially women who have their monthly cycle and what exactly to do during that time of the month and outside of that time of the month and so much more. You're going to love it. Then she's also gonna give you some simple tips for optimizing your hormones to make them more sensitive. We want hormones that are sensitive because they could get the job done more efficiently. This episode will blow your mind. Grab a pen and paper. Make sure you're present. You might want to listen to this two or three or four times and make sure you share it with a friend. Before I bring Dr. Jolene Brayton on the show, I want to thank you so much for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast. Out of all the podcasts out there, you chose this one and we are growing so fast. Our mission here at Keto Camp is to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth and you listening to the podcast, sharing it with a friend, really helps us accomplish this mission. So I thank you first and foremost. If you have not left the show, a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. It really helps the show out. We are putting a lot of time and energy, effort and money and resources into getting this show to your hands and your review really will help us get it into more people's hands. Also, take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and tag me and Dr. Brighton on that post you do on Instagram, and I'll be sure to see it and share it on my profile. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi, that is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I, and Dr. Jolene Brighton's is Dr. Jolene Brighton. So that's D-R-J-O-L-E-N-E-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. Tag us both. I'll see it. I'll share it. By the way, you got to follow her on Instagram. She has amazing posts. Keto Campers, I want to let you know that I put together some kits for you. They're called Keto Camp Kits. I have a kit for anybody starting keto, my favorite supplements, how to use them, why you should use them. I have a sleep kit. I have a essential travel kit if you want to stay bulletproof on the road. I have a kit for sugar cravings and more. If you head over to ketocampkit.com, Remember, that's camp with a K, ketocampkit.com. You can see all the kits I have customized and put together for you. So make sure you go and check that out. If you want a free ebook designed to teach you how to master keto and fasting, it's a 12-page ebook you can read in 30 minutes and understand how to do keto the right way. Head over to ketokickstartguide.com and claim that free download. Again, that's ketokickstartguide.com. Let's get into this interview talking all things hormones and women's health with Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a prominent leader in women's medicine and the emerging science of post-birth control syndrome, studying the effects of hormonal birth control on female health, a fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances. Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, medical advisor within the tech community, and considered a leading authority on women's health. Dr. Brighton is also part of the Mind Body Green Collective and a faculty member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Her work has been featured in the New York Post, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, Bustle, The Guardian, and ABC News. Dr. Jolene Brighton, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation today. I am too. You are a leading authority in women's health. You're doing such great work out there, and your book, Beyond the Pill, is fantastic. And we're going to talk all about that 
But before we do, I want to hear your story. Please share your story and what got you into the work that you're doing today. Yeah, well, my story, I think like so many of ours, uh, is just the twisty, windy, road less traveled. Robert Frost, that's one of my favorite poems, is the road less traveled. So I actually you know, very early on in life, became sick as a child, a lot of digestive issues, struggled for a decade with doctors not being able to figure out what was going on with me. And it wasn't until the research on an organism called H. pylori made its way into clinical practice that my doctor decided to test me for it. And lo and behold, I had H. pylori. Now, this was after being through so many different tests, um, hospitalizations, and then doctors throwing up their hands and saying, well, we can't figure out what's going on, so she's probably making it up, and she probably has an eating disorder, and she probably, and it became all, much of what now I've seen and heard so often from other women, which is doctors basically saying it's in your head. This is not a real thing. And so it turned out I did have H. pylori. Medicine just didn't know about this organism as a potential, you know, I'm hesitant to say pathogen, but it caused gastritis in my stomach. So inflammation of my stomach, uh, horrible heartburn and GERD. And at that point I got treated, lots of antibiotics, and also was told I'd be on a proton pump inhibitor for life. And that was at 17. And I was like, I'm not gonna take a pill every day for the rest of my life until they passed me birth control. <laughs> then I was like, oh, okay, I can control my body. But what I did then is I actually just started making observations about you know, how my diet was affecting my health. And my doctor said to me, I was like, well, what if I change my diet? He's like, well, you can go ahead, but it's not gonna do anything for your heartburn. Wait, so what I eat is not gonna do anything to change my digestion. Like at 17, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So that propelled me into studying nutrition. So at the time I was actually working in dentistry, I then went back to college, started studying nutrition, and I was actually on track to get my PhD. I was gonna go to UC Davis and get my PhD in nutrition. And I came across naturopathic medicine. And for me, having gone, you know, I had a chemistry degree, then a nutritional science degree, and here I was in my master's, I was going for my PhD, and I had a lot of science under my belt. But what I really liked about naturopathic medicine is how it asked why, and it never stopped. Even if you prescribe the drug, you still ask why. So if someone has high blood pressure, walking around with high blood pressure is not acceptable. We can't have that. Yeah, there are natural therapies that can really help, but we may very well need a pharmaceutical. But that doesn't mean just because you use a pharmaceutical that you stop trying to help that patient resolve what's going on or transition off that pharmaceutical. So... When I found naturopathic medicine, it was a, a perfect fit for me in terms of you know really how what my philosophy was and how I looked at things, and it really integrated nutritional science. And so, I went to naturopathic school. I thought, okay, I'm going to be a naturopathic doctor who focuses in gut health. Good thing it did uh, because that is everything, and that is very foundational to everything I do. People are always shocked. They're like, come in and they're like, just fix my hormones. And I'm like, what's up with your gut? We've got to start there. And they're like my gut, what's that going to do with my ovaries? We'll talk about it a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I went to naturopathic school and we were just chatting that Dr. Carrie Jones was actually a fertility instructor of mine while I was there. I had great mentors and I had this epiphany while I was sitting in class one day where I was like, so much of my experience and other women's experience in women's health is that medicine is done to them. They are not a partner. They are just supposed to be a good girl that says, yes, please, thank you, and doesn't question authority at all. And even the gynecological exam and the pap smear was like, 
lay there, scoot forward. Here's the speculum, like very mechanical. And what I was being taught was so different. It was consent. May, may I please, may I please insert the speculum? May I please, like, would you like to have a mirror to see what's going on? That was a whole paradigm shift. I never even knew medicine could be practiced that way in women's health. And that's when I really decided, okay, I want to practice women's medicine because I want to change this paradigm. I want women to question. I want women to have all the information they need to make the best decision for themselves. I want women to feel safe and confident and comfortable to say, no, thank you. This is not for me. I want a second opinion or even within a, a guide exam. No, I actually would prefer not to have a breast exam today. Can I defer that? Like these are things that I didn't even know were possible from a patient perspective. And yet really, I mean, the patient is in charge in, in terms of like the, their health and prevention and so many aspects. Now, mind you, don't misunderstand me, anyone. I am not talking about like, if I'm in a car accident, I'm unconscious, please doctor, do whatever it takes to keep me alive. That's a different kind of scenario here. But that's really what propelled me into women's medicine. And I have to say that in all of this, the only reason that I, uh, well, not the only reason, but a big reason why I've been able to pursue this career, have multiple degrees, be a first-generation college student, is because I did have access to birth control. And so I spent 10 years on the pill. And when I came off, I developed what is now known as post-birth control syndrome. I had a lot of issues and I had doctors, you know, I went to a conventional in-network doctor who told me probably had PCOS all along. And that's, you know, this is just you and this is your new normal. And I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't me. This is not how I remember me. And it was really in my experience, which I felt very alone in. I, I definitely struggled very silently with this. And then I went into clinical practice and found I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one who had difficulty breaking up with birth control. And I began to get the reputation as the doctor who believed women's birth control stories, where women would schedule with me just by way of the fact that they had heard from a friend that I would believe their side effects, that they started birth control and now they're having side effects and I wouldn't get mad at them for questioning it and I would actually believe it. And that is something that still to this day, I just find so astounding. And to me, that was a huge alarm and wake up of like, when women come to ask birth control and question if it's right for them and question side effects and have their concerns, sometimes in medicine, we're meeting them with a muzzle and we're telling them, be quiet, just be grateful and thankful that you have access to this and don't question it because women before you had to fight so hard to have it. And yeah, we have had to fight to have it, but I don't think it's an either or conversation. I think it's a, yes, we want access to birth control. And yes, we want to know everything that could possibly happen to our bodies and what we can do to be safe on it. And what could happen when we transition off so we can decide for ourselves and not have information withheld from us, which is, I was just talking to a friend of mine this last week about the, she's a nurse. And I asked her, did you see in 2019, Medscape had put out this survey and they surveyed doctors and they surveyed nurses and asked them, do you think it's okay to lie to a patient in order to get them to comply with the treatment that you're prescribing? And the number of physicians that said yes made my jaw drop. Like the doctors self-reported, they thought it was acceptable to lie to patients in order to get them to accept a medical treatment that they were possibly questioning. This is why we have nurses. The vast majority of nurses were like, no way. And I'm like, this is why we need a healthcare team and we need everyone together because it may very well be a situation where that doctor's like, 
I've got three minutes to get you to make up your mind. So I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear because I want to save your life. Whereas the nurse may be coming from a different place of like, well, I've got more time to spend with you to help educate you, to help you make that decision. And really, I think that everyone in healthcare, whether it be patients or healthcare providers, all want more time to do a better job. And everyone is very much invested in doing a good job. So please, nobody take this as like, oh, your doctor is just a terrible person. They're not. There's just, there's some upstream issues in how a lot of us get trained. Yeah, I, I love I love your story because you were somebody who thought outside the box right from the beginning when you were 17 years old and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right to you. And you, that's not normal, uh, Dr. Brighton. That's actually uncommon. And I love that's the way you think and that's the way you empower other people. So now you have a book called Beyond the Pill and you have a lot of research on the birth control pill. Out of all the things you could have focused on, right, when it comes to women's health, why did you choose this specific niche? What other book out there exists that takes a deep dive on birth control like this? It didn't exist. And so really that was a big part of it. I'm like, there's all these really great hormones books and women's health books, but they might have like a little box and a mention of birth control. And yet we're seeing that over a quarter of women are using hormonal birth control. And this was something I was seeing in my practice day in and day out. I didn't understand how my body worked and I didn't understand how birth control worked until I went to medical school. And that's not right. Women shouldn't have to go to medical school to understand the body that they live in. And so really beyond the pill is born out of my clinical practice. It was the patients who chose me, who trusted in me. And I documented, I just documented what was happening. The protocols you find in beyond the pill they're straight out of my chart notes. Like there was parts of writing that book where I was like copying and pasting out of chart notes, the treatment plan, because I'm like, this is the thing that we found time and time again, you know, as the book was coming together, what was really interesting is that we were initially, I was like, women need to do a 21 day. We need to spend like three weeks really working on their detox system and supporting their liver and supporting their body. And then I had patients who were quitting after two weeks and getting results. And I was like, let's try 14 days. Let's try 14 days with people. And it was working really well. And I'm like, okay, so some people need to like spend that extra week, but okay. But the majority I'm seeing, they can spend two weeks. So for everybody who's ever written a book, you will know when I say this, you only write a book if you can't not write that book. Because writing a book, I mean, there's people all the time that I will share about my book. And they're like, well, you're just saying that because you're trying to make money off your book. And I'm like, um, I'm not JK Rowling, um, authors, <laughs> health authors don't like, we don't make money off of our books. Typically. I mean, that's just like, not the way it works. And when you do, it's like a dollar, like, let's be real. Like this would be very transparent and real, but everything that you, you put into this book. I mean, what I put into it was really because it's the manual. I wish I had to go through my reproductive years and I'm still in them, but I would have liked to have this book when I got my period and I had debilitating cramps and I bled for more than seven days and I missed school and I was vomiting and I thought that was normal. And then I ended up going on the pill for that when instead I could have made a dietary shift to include more omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium, vitamin E, things that actually regulate prostaglandins. But 
I just for three years, I struggled and I hated my body and I hated my life thinking that this is just the way it is. And when I went on birth control, I wish that anyone had told me how it actually worked. I had no idea. I wish that I would have known what side effects to look out for. I wish I would have known why my gut symptoms started getting a whole lot worse, why I had joint issues, why I lost my libido. I didn't know any of this. I just kept going through my 20s, my 20s, thinking I'm old and I'm broken and this is what it's like to get older. Like that is not what it's like to get like older. That's in your 20s. Like what are you even thinking? So, you know, really so much of this book is about wanting to educate women to help put the medicine in their hands. We need big change in women's medicine. You know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because of me going out and saying, we need to make this change. Uh, it's going to happen when every single woman is taking ownership of her body, taking back her hormones and showing doctors what could be done. Because doctors, you know, depending on how you're trained, are being taught that nutrition does nothing, that, you know, food is not medicine. Like that's crazy talk. I'm like, but like literally what you eat becomes every cell of your body if it's absorbed. So like what? Like this doesn't make sense to me. So I really wanted to help women where they're at, be able to own their body, understand their body, and then partner with their doctor and be more educated in that so that they can get more out of that doctor's visit and get the help they need. I love it. Yeah, you're, you're providing them the information and the freedom to choose their path and understand their body. So I, I respect that so much. I, I want to know, what are some of the issues that the pill can cause that are not commonly spoken about? Mm. Yeah. So, well, you know, everybody like seems to know that low libido can happen. They just don't know it can happen to them. So there's the low libido piece, which women joke all the time that that's actually how birth control works is that you don't want to have sex. So you're not going to get pregnant. So there's that component. But what's really not talked about, we hear a lot about like, well, what are the cancer risks? What are the cancer benefits? What about stroke, heart attack? But, you know, we don't go into the diabetes conversation as much that it can in some women cause insulin issues. And in fact, we've seen studies that are showing that if you were on birth control for six months or more, and then you enter into menopause later in life, you're about 35% more likely to develop diabetes because birth control is inflammatory. Also something that we don't talk about. And understand that for everybody listening, always view everything through the lens of what's true for you. Because we don't have great studies to know why one woman gets on birth control and her mood symptoms, her depression, her anxiety, her PMS, PMDD, gone. Another woman gets on birth control and now not only is she depressed, but she's having suicidal ideation. She's taking thinking about taking her own life. Like we don't know why her and not her. We don't understand that. What we do understand is that there are receptors for your hormones in every single system of your body, which means that your natural hormones and the synthetic ones found in birth control can interact with every single system in your body. And it may very well be your genetics married with what's going on in your environment of how you might express side effects. So when it comes to like the clot risk, we're told often that like the risk is very, very low. Don't worry about it. But if you have specific genetic factors, like a factor five light mutation, it's different for you. That's different for you. And you, we have to start understanding this as a population as whole is that studies don't tell us everything about everyone. Studies have, okay, here's what we saw in the majority of people. Here's what's statistically significant. And they don't often say, and here's all these weird outliers. We don't know what's going on about that. 
you may be an outlier and that doesn't mean you're something's wrong with you and it, it doesn't mean that you should ignore it either it just means that you are an outlier and things have to be viewed differently for you so one instance of this is that we know if you have a family history of autoimmunity so like interstitial cystitis is linked with hormonal birth control as is Crohn's disease so there was a study that came out of Harvard showing that if you had a family history of Crohn's disease, after five years on the pill, you were at a 300% increased risk of developing Crohn's disease. So for you, that there's going to be a different expression. So you might start having gas, bloating, you might have some diarrhea, or maybe even some constipation within years of starting birth control, which then over time may... Can, you know, become Crohn's disease where now we have bloody stools or we're having malabsorption issues or it may start with ulcers in the mouth, which people often are like, I ask about this all the time with my patients, especially those on birth control. And I've had patients that are like, yeah, I get ulcers in my mouth. I'm like, okay, have we talked to a dentist about it? And also we should get some testing done and just make sure. And sometimes we do find markers where, okay, it's looking like you might be developing Crohn's disease. Let's get you over to a gastroenterologist and figure out what's going on. Now, the other issues with birth control, you know, I mentioned the moon. There is a correlation between starting hormonal birth control and developing depression, being diagnosed with it, and being prescribed antidepressants. At this point, we don't have any causation studies, and we may never have causation studies because it is very hard to do a study that, yes, in fact, birth control directly caused your mood issues because, again, birth control is interacting in a lot of ways. So one is that it's stimulating receptors in the brain. Two is it's inflammatory. We know that inflammation can change our mood. It's altering gut function. We know that your gut can dictate how your mood is as well. And then it can create nutrient deficiencies in some women. So things like magnesium, B vitamins, zinc, selenium, antioxidants. So it's all these kinds of things that often aren't talked about. And when I start talking about them, yeah, you know, especially when I'm lecturing to clinicians and this is what doctors do and they should, they're like, what are the studies? And then when I start going through the studies and they start seeing that there's been studies since the 1970s talking about nutrient deficiencies and that it's so well recognized a pharmaceutical company developed a pill with folic acid in it to try to safeguard against that because spoiler it's not 99% effective with how most women use it. It's 91% effective, which is to say nine out of 100 women on the pill will get pregnant in a year. So there is no 100% surefire way to avoid pregnancy other than abstinence. And that's not realistic for most people. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to interrupt this episode real quick and let you know about a product I've been using to reduce inflammation and to get better sleep. When it comes to the CBD space, it is like the wild, wild west. And the company I've discovered is Dr. Phillips Formulations. It is pure, safe, potent, and yes, it's formulated by a doctor. They bring over 20 years of medical experience to their CBD oil. They have a proprietary formulation which combines pure, high-quality ingredients with the knowledge of a board-certified physician. They have tinctures that are internationally certified for non-GMO. And here's what they also have keto CBD fruit chews. Yes, they are keto friendly, they taste delicious, and they're a great way to reduce inflammation in the body. The third thing that I use from them is the topical cream. There's very few, if any, CBD products on the market that can compare to this. I use the topical cream when I have some soreness, maybe in my lower back. I put this cream and the next morning the pain is gone. We have worked out a deal for keto campers to get 15% off 
your order by heading over to drphillipscbd.com slash ketocamp. Dr. Phillips CBD is spelled D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-C-B-D.com slash ketocamp. Remember, that's camp with a K. Let's get back to this episode. Yeah, that's super interesting. I want to go back to what you said about the um, the diabetes. So I gave a talk recently at Low Carb USA, and I was talking about the role that toxins can play with type 2 diabetes and how they could actually create cellular inflammation on the receptor sites, which would make insulin having a harder type, a job of bringing glucose into the cells. Is it something similar to that? That's what I think is going on is that we've got that. So, and this is why we can see other hormones become an issue while on birth control too, is because when the cells get inflamed, they become rigid and docking hormones onto the receptors doesn't work as well. So, and this is where your doctor might measure your blood work and say, well, everything looks normal, but you don't feel normal. And then we look at like a CRP, for example, a marker of inflammation, and it's like eight. Okay. Uh-uh, you're super inflamed. I mean, even, you know, when we get above one, some people start to have issues and certainly above three can be an issue. And so it can be that, yeah, your hormones look fine. We just got to get your cells to use those. So there's that piece. And then there is the piece as well that our hormones do interact. So estrogen and progesterone interact with insulin, that estrogen and progestin in hormonal birth control can as well. And it can be that, you know, you'll hear often where people will say like, you're in a suspended luteal phase, so the suspended second half of your cycle while on birth control. And that's a place where we become a little less sensitive to insulin, which is also why if anyone is listening, this can be part of why, you know, leading up to your period, you're like, I want to eat everything. And it can be about that blood sugar component and what's going on with your hormones. But does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you cleared that up. Thank you. So we, we talked about those who are on the birth control pill. Let's say somebody just got off, like you got off the pill and you started to get those symptoms. What are some common symptoms that happen? And then what are some things that they can do to alleviate that and, and heal the body as they get off the birth control pill? Mm-hmm. So again, every single system in the body is up for grabs because they all have receptors. Now, when it comes to hormonal transitions, we as a society don't have any problem acknowledging that Getting your period for the first time is a big hormonal shift. So going through puberty, I think we all know, now Netflix has like that great series, Big Mouth with the hormone monsters. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. My friends are always like, you're totally the hormone monstrous. I'm like, well, but I do shower. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, though, we, we recognize that these are big shifts. Having a baby is a big shift. Giving birth is a big shift. So like that's a huge hormonal shift going through menopause. But for some reason, we can't wrap our heads around the idea that you flood yourself with synthetic hormones to stop your brain from working. So it stops your brain from from talking to your ovaries, it doesn't stop your brain from working altogether. I just want to be really clear. Just stops brain ovarian communication. And then you come off and like, that's not supposed to be difficult. Like that's not supposed to be a big transition. It's a big hormonal transition to make. So for some women, they can lose their period for three to six months coming off of birth control. If you had regular predictable periods before starting, it should come back within three months. If it doesn't, you definitely need to see your doctor. If they were irregular, 
unpredictable. 26 days, 46 days, I don't know, when's it been here? And last, we expect that it'll take about six months for it to come back. But I still say, go see your doctor and get worked up at three months because you don't want to be waiting around at month eight thinking, well, maybe I should see my doctor now. Like, if you're not getting a period, then you may not be getting ample amounts of hormones that protect your brain and your bones and your heart and your entire body. Sometimes women are like, oh, it's so nice not to have a period. I'm like, I get that. And yet you really want these hormones. We don't want to be 30 feeling like we are postmenopausal with creaky joints, droopy skin, extra wrinkles. Nobody wants any of that. So in coming off of hormonal birth control, we've got the period component, but other systems can be impacted as well. So we can see new onset of neurological symptoms like brain fog, anxiety, depression, headaches, migraines. If that's the case for you, really, and, and everything I say is definitely work with a practitioner so that you can navigate this best, but it may be something that like, okay, you're having these abrupt hormonal shifts. We need to work on your hormonal system. So in Beyond the Pill, I take you through not just sex hormones, but all of your hormones. And I actually have a whole quiz in there to help you get dialed in on your hormone imbalance. So you can be really targeted. So you take the quiz, we go right into nutrition, lifestyle practices, and then there's tables for supplements as well, which gives you several options. And this has been coming up lately where women are like, I don't want to take folic acid. I've heard not to take folic acid. All the supplements, I, I uh, mentioned several different companies in my books, they don't have any folic acid in them. So just so you guys know, <laughs> I'm like, I should have wrote, written that somewhere, but I didn't see that coming, that uh, being something that was going to come up. So I love that they knew to ask you that though. That's a great question. Yeah, it really is a great question. Yeah, I, it's been coming up more recently because I was talking about prenatals and folic acid and folate and, you know, it was just so everybody's on the same page as us. You know, there's a genetic variant called MTHFR, which makes it so that you don't utilize folic acid. And this is involved in your folate metabolism and really, really important for your health overall. Now, just because you have MTHFR doesn't mean that you have to go get on fully. You might be doing it with your diet. You might be fine eating all your leafy greens. But if you do use prenatal or multivitamin, then you want to be using something with folate because especially if it's a prenatal and you're looking to conceive, you need to have folate. That's going to help you be healthy and it's going to help baby be healthy as well. So when coming off of hormonal birth control, we talked about the period issues. There can be some neurological issues coming up. We might have digestive issues. And in my book, I walk through all of these systems. Now, something that I alluded to earlier is supporting your detox pathway when you come off of birth control. So I titled a chapter of my book, Birth Control Hormone Detox 101. With my thought on this title was that this is going to teach women how your body detoxifies birth control and detoxifies your hormones. Like your body does this. And yet now we've seen companies coming out with like all kinds of products and all kinds of things. And people saying like, you cannot detoxify birth control unless you like do all these supplements and these protocols. And I'm like, look, that's not what that chapter was saying. <laughs> and I don't know if they were inspired by that chapter, but people have come back and said, well, it's because you said birth control hormone detox 101. I'm like, it's 101 of how your body detoxes hormones. So your body is always detoxifying every single day. It's what it does. It does it really well. But well, on hormonal birth control, if you are experiencing nutrient depletions, so B vitamins, just by way of example, that can impact your liver detoxification pathways. So when you take the pill, 
your body breaks down and metabolizes some of it. So it's going to absorb some of it, and then that's going to pass through the liver, but it's still a high enough dose that even after going through the liver, it's enough to shut down brain ovarian communication. And then, you know, it can alter the microbiome because the rest of that travels down to the large intestine. And we don't actually know what those organisms do with those hormones and the different metabolites that they're creating. So with that, we need to be supporting the liver. You know, older formulations of birth control did lead to liver tumors. Some women still get liver tumors. These are not cancerous, they're benign liver tumors, but it does also mean there's structural change to your liver and there can be a genetic change to your liver. So this comes back to epigenetics. When you take hormonal birth control, that's you know an, an environmental signal that comes in, tells your liver, upregulate sex hormone binding globulin. And so as it does that, you're going to be grabbing onto your hormones, a very good thing to keep you safe, not so good because you, this can be part of why you lose your libido, but also, you know, we don't know what else could be going on and what other changes could be happening. We understand that for some women, they'll have higher cholesterol. Well, you know, often people are like, oh, well, if you have high cholesterol, that's because of your diet. That's because of your liver. Like your liver is making this cholesterol. So we have to be looking at how can we support liver health? gut health, adrenal, thyroid, metabolic health. And, you know, so much of this is going to be getting great sleep, not just going to bed, getting great sleep. You need your deep sleep. I'm wearing my aura ring right now. Yeah, <laughs> like, <me too. laughs> always tracking that. I know I like, do you dictate your day? Like, do you, like, if you get up and you see that your readiness score is really low or you didn't sleep well, do you change your day? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, yeah, if I see I have a good readiness score and I check my deep sleep in REM and I'm like, I'm ready to rock it today, I'll go crush my workout. So yeah, I, I do have that extra motivation to do so. Yeah. I've also found there was a about a month ago that I was getting ready to travel and I woke up and my readiness score was really low and I hadn't slept well. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why? I don't know why, but I had a flight. I am usually the person who walks in the airport, walks through TSA, walks to the gate, walks right onto the plane. Like I am so last minute and my it drives my husband nuts. I saw my readiness score was super low and I'm like, I'm gonna get to the airport an hour and a half early. I'm gonna take my time in good thing because the, it was actually ended up being a really stressful flight. And I'm like, wow, like that was a really good call. So I will say like this is where I love like tracking this data because you know, you can make these little shifts. Like when you see these things of like, okay, my capacity to handle stress is lower today. What can I modify and why you want to modify this for everyone listening? If you're like, I don't want to be extra. Yes, you do. Because in modifying that behavior, that made it so that my cortisol was less likely to be spiking along with my epinephrine nor, nor epinephrine. I already know my genetics and know I have a harder time clearing catecholamine. So once I'm up, I'm up for a while. So I modified that behavior by the time I got to my destination. You know, I had to be speaking on a stage two days later. I knew what my readiness score was before. I made sure I got extra sleep. I wore my amber glasses religiously. There was all these things that I did that made it so that I, my next period, easy. My energy levels, great. Like, but I could have went about it a different way and I could have totally crashed my system and been sick probably two weeks later. And so I think it's really awesome to be extra some days when your body needs it and give yourself permission for that. And that's something that when you come off of birth control, you may very well need as well is to say like, and I actually talk about in my book, 
like when we talk about like detoxifying, people are always like, okay, what do I need to like eat and take in? And it's first like, what do I need to stop taking in? How do I need to help my system bring things out? And also who's in my life? Because people uh, in your life and relationships can be significant stressors as well. And this is something I counsel patients with of like, look, if you've got like a coworker that just rags on you and then like you're always going out with them after work and it doesn't make you happy and you're in a healing phase, you need to pause from that. Like you need to just say no, don't go out with them, find something else, find a hobby, find a book, like do something else. And it doesn't mean you have to ditch people forever, but it does mean that you need to really safeguard your own energy and your own health as you're healing. You know, that's such an important point because a lot of people don't realize that, that our environment dictates what's happening. We become our environment. If you hang around dogs, you're going to get fleas type, type of thing. So Bruce Lipton has research on what... I was like, but I love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, that's not my dog sleeping right here. You know what I mean. I know. Mine was just trying to get in. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine is like just sleeping in a 75-pound German Shepherd lab right underneath my desk here. Um, Six-pound Chihuahua over here. Oh, yeah, big big difference. <laughs> yeah, I've always had pit bulls, so this has been a really... I always say, I'm like, you're more ferret than you are dog. <laughs> I had a pit bull too. They're such clowns, aren't they? I love, oh man, my two pit bulls. I love them. And they are, yes, they are clowns. They are, when I tell people, they are the most emotional creatures. Like I, they really are. And my girl dog, she always wanted to dress up and she wouldn't go out in the rain without like a coat. Like these, <laughs> like people are like, oh, pit bulls. They're so like, you know, people have the things they say about them. And I'm like, you don't even know. They're so such babies um they're such babies and then the six pound chihuahua he's got like way more like attitude he like we were traveling recently and he like tried to take on probably like a 30 pound iguana because it got too close to my kid and he was like no stay away from my kid i'm like man little little dog's brains i guess are just not big enough to know better or they're really really loyal <laughs> and fierce <laughs> yeah that's amazing a little bodyguard you have there yeah well i, I wanted to say that you're talking about our association and the negative thoughts that we may be thinking or people might be projecting on us. Well, Bruce Lipton has shown that that could actually create inflammation around ourselves. And, and when we have cellular inflammation, then this, we can't detox. The bad stuff can't get out and we can't produce enough of the good stuff. And then all of a sudden detoxification is, is starting to fail. So I love that you have that component in there. And um, your book, before we move on here, where is the best place to get your book? Oh, you can get it at a bookstore, on Amazon, anywhere that they sell books. And I do want to say there was a study where, so everybody touts meditation, right? And everyone's like, meditation is the best thing that you could do. And it is a really good thing to do. Yet they did a study and they looked at inflammatory proteins. And what they found was saying nice things to yourself beat meditation when it came to inflammatory proteins and health outcomes. So if you don't have time to meditate or you're someone who's like, meditation's not for me, get in front of the mirror and compliment yourself. Tell you, And when you catch yourself with negative self-talk, stop it. It's inflammatory. And if you're not going to do it for you, do it like, you know, do it for your health. Do it for the people in your life that you are kind to yourself. Oh, such great advice. Yeah, that, I teach that. I, I teach my clients because I learned this from Abraham Hicks to look in the mirror, say, thank you, I love you, and say that five to ten times a day. Uh, How and was I, it the first time you did it? It was so weird and strange. And it was like, ah. It's kind of hard, right? Yeah. And like, you don't want to make eye contact with yourself. Yep. Like, you don't want to make eye contact with yourself and say that, but yet you would say it to 
and someone else in your life. So I just wanted to ask that because I think sometimes we say these things like they're going to be really easy things to do and then people go and do them and they're like, what's wrong with me? Why does this feel so difficult? Well, because we're not like, we're taught a lot of U.S. history in school, but we're not taught a lot of like self-love, self-care, self-compassion, nutrition, balancing checkbooks, <laughs> these things Any that we need that, as actual much. life skills. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm a big believer in self-love for ourselves and then for other people as well. So I'm walking throughout my day, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm saying, I love myself. I love myself. It's these affirmations that heal the body. On the opposite side, two of the biggest destroyers are hatefulness and resentfulness. So I love that we're talking about this. So what I teach is a healthy cyclical keto. So I call it keto flexing. And I have different variations in how I teach it. Like for instance, female clients I work with who are cycling, they have their monthly period. I have them get out of ketosis seven days before their period to have high healthy carbs and have specific carbs that help stimulate insulin that help these hormonal conversions for the monthly cycle. Also don't have them fast. So the reason I'm bringing this up is there's such variations out there. There's no cookie cutter approach. We are such unique people with our epigenetics and what's going to happen in the body. So when people think of keto, they think of one way to do it when it's not really one way to do it. But my question to you, and the reason I'm bringing this up is how important is it to get quality saturated fats and cholesterol in the body for hormonal health? Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, I want to say really so appreciate that you respect that women are cyclical creatures because so much of the keto world, there's a disconnect. All this research has been done on men and then they're trying to apply it to women. And then women are getting frustrated and being like, why can't I keep up with my male counterparts? Well, your male counterparts don't actually grow a human in their body and then go on to feed that human. Like we're very different. And it's almost like acknowledging differences is an invitation for someone to say like, who's the weaker sex? There is no weaker sex. Like we're compatible. Like we're meant to go together to support each other. Like, and it's just, yeah, it's a silly, silly thing. I, I think it's to even go there, but to say that women are very much different. And when it comes to cholesterol and uh, saturated fat, these are healthy components of the diet. Now, your liver makes cholesterol and cholesterol is how we make hormones, but we still do well to take in dietary cholesterol. And if you look at places where we get dietary cholesterol, they're usually very nutrient dense. So where are you going to get your fat soluble nutrients from? That's going to be coming from eating these fats. And you know, we want a variety of what mama nature made, not a variety of what chemists made. And that is from the gal who grew up on margarine. Okay. Um, so that's <laughs> that big old tub of margarine in my fridge as a kid. Same here. Yeah. Um, because we thought better living through chemistry and yet the more and more uh, time goes on, research comes out, people are living on this planet. We're seeing that like, actually mama nature never got it wrong, but humans have gotten it wrong plenty. And especially when we think we can make superior foods that are made in a lab. It doesn't make sense. Although I used to think that it did. So if you if you are someone who's like, wait, hold up, having trouble with that, like I've been there in that paradigm shift. So with this, saturated fat is important and it is part of our cellular makeup. So our cells have a phospholipid bilayer. This is how we keep what we need in and what we need out. And you know, the idea, like, so I, this was the other thing. 
I'm on birth control. I'm losing my libido. I'm not feeling awesome. I am definitely over-exercising and I'm eating a fat-free vegetarian diet. Like, is like I didn't want to have a libido. Like the fat-free part is like the worst thing that you could do to your hormones. And yet we were taught like, oh, fat is so bad. And, and I really reject this language that people use of like vilifying foods or categories and saying, that's bad, that's bad. When I say that, I'm talking about legit food. I'm not talking about like a bag of highly processed whatever, sugar things. Like that's not really food. Like that's just like some dye and some cornstarch and stuff. Like that's not the same. So I'm talking about actual food. There is no bad food. There's just what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And how do you feel when you're on it? Do you feel awesome when you eat this or when you don't eat this? So, but yeah, fat is a really, really important part of our diet and vitamin A, E, K, that's how you're going to get that is through those healthy fats. And especially when it comes to things like so when we're talking about birth control or women's um, health altogether, especially like women struggling with like acne, uh, immune issues, like we look at something like chicken skin and getting that fatty layer that's in there that's rich in vitamin A. So are egg yolks. Uh, so I think that one, if people are afraid of fat, there's no reason to be afraid, but I really doubt anyone in your camp is because it's a keto camp. <laughs> That's correct. Um, and I think that, you know, we really have to be cautious. Anytime I hear someone saying, you know, just vilifying a whole category or food group or things like that, it's something where I've been in, you know, nutrition and health for over 20 years now. And I'm like, that's just the new trend. Like that's just the new trend to vilify that. And it's really not the case. And the other piece that I'll say about women's hormones and fats, and I talk about this in Beyond the Pill, is how important omega-3 fatty acids are. So the Western diet tends to be skewed towards higher omega-6. That's a great way to have horrific menstrual cramps because we make prostaglandins, hormone-like chemicals, hormone-like substances, from these omega-3s or omega-6s. Omega-6s will make really potent ones. This is how our uterus contracts, but also it'll contract your bowels as well. So this is where you can have really painful cramps and period diarrhea. And this is also how we birth babies. So Prostaglandins aren't bad, but if you're having really bad cramps, we want to be looking towards more omega-3 fatty acids and bringing those in. Now, I don't think a lot of, like your audience is going to be a lot of vegans, but for people who are vegans and vegetarians, I talk about this in the book that we actually require our own natural estrogen to convert what is found in the environment, those omega-3s into EPA and DHA. Now, that requires our natural estrogen, but if you're on hormonal birth control, you don't have natural estrogen. We don't totally know. Do you make that conversion? And you're really inefficient at that, at that conversion as it is. So this may be a situation where, you know, I have patients who are vegans and vegetarians, their omega-3s are not looking good. They can't get them from plants. They can't get them up and they don't want to go the route of eating any fish or, you know, that's primarily where you're going to get it is like sardines, mackerel, salmon. And so they might elect for trying algae and sometimes that works and sometimes they go for a high quality fish oil. Omega-3s are really, really important fats to have in the diet as well. Awesome. Great advice. So we're wrapping up here and I have my rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready to rock these out with me? Yeah, I just drank some coffee. I think so. <laughs> yeah, you're ready. You're ready. Okay, here's the first one. What is your favorite keto food? Avocado. Mm-hmm. 
What about your favorite nun? That's a lie. It's probably eggs. <laughs> oh, eggs with the yolk. Chicken breast and egg whites. We're not talking about that. We're talking about chicken with the skin and egg No, yolks. I have my own chicken, so it's all about the yolks. Oh, yes. That's awesome. It's probably orange and delicious. Favorite non-keto food? Wow. Maybe I would say uh, potato, like a white potato, mm. like French fries or mm. tater tots. <laughs> awesome. What's the first thing you think of in the morning? Usually, how good is my sleep? <laughs> <laughs> check the aura ring. I do. It's kind of, it's become a little bit where I'm like having to check myself where I'm like, is this a good habit? <laughs> um, but my, my son has like some health issues and he's seven. He usually goes to bed at seven. He was up till 11 last night. So the first thing this morning, I was like, what does my aura, what does my app say? How did I sleep? What, last what night? was it? Let's compare our stats. Well, let me see. I think it was in the 80s, which wasn't Let's too see. bad. Let's see one today. So I got an 83 sleep score and 82 readiness score. I got an 80 readiness score and an 84 sleep score. And, okay. Or, no, 85. Oh. Um, that's weird. It just updated. And for everybody listening, today's the first day of my period. And this is like, we're going TMI, but that's the way it is. Which means that last night should have been the worst night of sleep for me because my estrogen and progesterone were dropping. And that's usually when women will have difficulty staying asleep, falling asleep, have you know disrupted sleep. You can even have like mild hot flashes. And yet my deep sleep was over an hour and my REM sleep was over two hours. So that's great. That's really possible, good. guys. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have been working on that and tracking that for a couple of months. I'm like, I need to get that. Like at that one last day, I'm like, let's get it dialed in. That's so interesting. Does your body temperature also go up right before your period? Your body temperature actually spikes just mildly before um, ovulation and with ovulation. But what happens is that we all recognize like, okay, in perimenopause, women can be having hot flashes and that can be uh, spikes and drops in estrogen. So you're, you're making estrogen and then it drops abruptly and then you have a hot flash. And then this can happen as well in our twenties and thirties that if we've got higher amounts of estrogen and then it drops before our period, we could feel a little more hot at night. We can have like feel sweaty um, and feel like we're having a hot flash, but it can also happen because of your adrenal hormones. So this is where it's really important as you talk about fasting, if patients say to me, oh, I'm fasting, but on the night, like when I do a fast at night, I'm actually waking up and having a hot flash. And I'm like, are you, you waking up hot? Are you feeling a little bit anxious? Is your heart racing a bit? Yeah. Yeah. That is actually your adrenal glands firing off hormones to liberate blood sugar because your blood sugar is dropping too low. And it may not be that like, oh, you just can't fast. It may be where you're at in your cycle. So like you were saying, as you get to that, you know, closer to your period in that end of the luteal phase, you, you have people, you have women eating more carbs and that's a good idea because that insulin sensitization can be changing. And that's a time where we'd be more prone to blood sugar instability. And it doesn't mean like, oh, you're just like metabolically unstable all the time. But during that window when you're cycling, that's where we can see that. So I hope that helps some people differentiate between is it a hot flash because of estrogen or is it a hot flash because of catecholamines and stress hormones? And if you have a hot flash every time you go to like give a presentation or you're, you know, it's a stressful event, it's unlikely estrogen, much more likely that it's your adrenal hormones. Oh, great information. Okay. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever heard? Uh, you're the only one living in your body and you're the only one who knows what normal is. And so always, always advocate for yourself. And if something 
doesn't feel normal for you, make sure that you say something to a different provider, get a second opinion and keep advocating for yourself. Mm, Amen. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever had? Oh, that your symptoms are just in your head and being it's normal for a woman to be in excruciating pain once a month and miss school and miss work and you should just accept it or you should just take birth control and suppress your body. Mm. What was your favorite TV show growing up? I didn't grow up with a TV. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I still don't own a TV. I love I'm that. like going to be 40 in a few years. And I'm like, I've never owned an actual TV. That's why you're so like, productive. I, I love that. <laughs> if you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh man, that is like so hard. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like flying because I fly a lot, but could I be just Jean Grey? I mean, <laughs> yeah. You- She's kind of like everything, right? <laughs> That'll work. Who do you admire most? Oh, I don't know. Of a, of a single person that I admire most? There's yeah. so many people. Like who came who came to, to mind first when I said that? Can, I, I'm going to be really like honest with you. And it, Kobe Bryant, because of his recent passing. And I was actually on Instagram Live when I found out and people were telling me, but I didn't know anything about Kobe Bryant. I don't know anything about sports guys. Don't ask me. I I mess them up all the time. But I was actually going to be on Jordan Harbinger's podcast. And I was like, oh, I want to listen to some of his guests and his interview style. And I listened to an interview with Kobe Bryant. And I was like, wow, so much of what he said really resonated with me as a woman, as a mother, as you know, just a, a business owner, I mean, just in so many ways. And that, you know, he always came about things like he got hated on a lot because he didn't go out drinking. He didn't party. He didn't do all that because he was like, I am going to be the best. I, and whatever I do, I'm going to be the best at it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get there by putting all of me into it and being really, really dedicated. And that was so admirable. But I do want to acknowledge that in saying that is there are a lot of women right now feeling triggered by seeing his image and his words and even me speaking about him right now, women with this history of sexual assault. And I think we can't ignore that piece as well, which is why I was a little cautious bringing his name up because it is, you know, grief, respect, like all these feelings. I mean, there's a lot swirling. It's very, it's a very complicated situation right now, but that was the person who honestly came to my mind because of recent events. Yeah, well said. I I read his, or I read a book about him called Showboat probably three or four years ago, and it was about his whole story and his mindset just for achieving success. And it made a big difference in my life. Such a tragedy. The next question is, what is your favorite hobby? Gardening. I love growing food. (laughs) And I do it all uh, organic. So it can be very frustrating at times, but yeah, at other times it's very, very rewarding. But my yard is, uh, I grow the majority of our food during growing season. And then uh, my yard is filled with medicinal plants. So my friends always joke, if it's ever the apocalypse, go to Jolene's house because she's (laughs) got like all the herbs. (laughs) That's awesome. So speaking of that, the final question here is what is the strangest food you've ever eaten? Oh, well, I eat a lot of strange food, like alligator tail. Mm. I eat a lot of different oh fall um, at crickets. <laughs> so I don't know. To me, it's like 
it doesn't seem that strange, but then I'm like, it might be really strange to people. I mean, people thought it was strange that my child, when we were living in France, he couldn't get enough escargot and uh, frog legs, like ridiculous amounts. Wow. And I'm like, because we've just always eaten everything. He keeps telling me like he wants to eat brain. And I'm like, yeah, but there's like these diseases that affect brains. Mom's a little bit like terrified of that. And he's like, take me to a country where they eat brains. Mom will want to try it. I'm like, Oh, he heard some podcasts where they were eating brain, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Dr. Jolene Brighton, I want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing. You are a pioneer. You're doing amazing work. You're empowering so many women and so many human beings out there. And I share a lot of your information and your research with my community. So your fingerprints are all over the people I'm helping here in Keto Camp. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. And where is the best place to check out more of your information? Well, my main hub is drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. And that's where you'll find tons of resources. Women call it the Google of women's medicine because just about every question that you could ask, there's an article for that there. And then you, I'm always playing on Instagram at Dr. Jolene Brighton. And then I have a YouTube channel as well because I know we all learn differently. Awesome. Well, we're going to put all the links of that, of those links in the podcast notes here. Again, you were amazing today and I had a great time with you and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Jolene Brighton. This is one of those interviews you got to share with a female that you know, a woman you know, please share this with them they would get so much from this. Head over to the notes of this podcast and check out the resources. Go get her book. You could find a link for her book. You could find a gift she has for keto campers. You could find that link and go check out her work and her website. You could also find that in the notes of this podcast. And again, a reminder to take a screenshot of this right now on your phone, screenshot it, and then post that on your Instagram. Tag Dr. Brighton, tag myself. I will see that and I'll be sure to share it on my stories my Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi, and Dr. Brighton's is at Dr. Jolene Brighton. If you want to watch the video interview with Dr. Jolene Brighton and myself, you could go and head over to the youtube.com slash ketocamp YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash ketocamp, and you could watch the video version of this interview that you just listened to. I want to thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. I really hope you got tremendous value from it. With all the information out there, it can be quite confusing. And our goal here is to cut through all that noise to give you some practical steps to change your life and reclaim your health. And if you feel that you, we have provided value for you today, please leave the show a rating, a review, an Apple podcast. It really helps out. Last reminder to claim your free Keto Kickstart Guide over at KetoKickstartGuide.com and then head over to KetoCampKit.com to get and learn more of those supplements I put together for you. Hey, thank you for listening to this entire episode, Keto Camper. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. 
Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.